Welcome again to the Comic Book Historians Podcast. I'm Alex Grand with my co-host Jim Thompson. Today we are chatting with Hendry Weisinger, son of former DC editor Mort Weisinger. Mort Weisinger, science fiction author and agent, former editor of thrilling wonder stories for Standard Magazines, DC Comics editor from 1941 to 1970, with a variety of concepts that came about under his editorship, Supergirl, Crypto, Phantom Zone, Candor, Legion of Superheroes, having more than one kryptonite, Yellow vs. Red Sun, Imaginary Stories, Superman Annuals, Johnny Quick, Vigilante, Tarantula, Green Arrow, Aquaman, also story editor of the George Reeves TV Superman series, and was also Jim Shooter's childhood mentor in comics. Hendry, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So, Hendry, for, for younger listeners out there, although Alex just named everything, let's let's start by <laughs> you telling us who your father was, both as as the creator and his background, but also who who you think of him as being. Well, for sure, my first thought is he was my best friend. And I would still say that I think every single day uh, he is in my thoughts. Um, I had a lot of fun growing up and his job as story editor of Superman. In many ways, uh, I was his editor because every single morning he would wake me up and it would always be the same. How's this for a cover? Or how do you like this situation? He would describe a situation that uh, Superman is in or with Lois Lane. And that might be at 7.30 in the morning. And by breakfast time, I, I would have to either come up with the answer or he would tell me. Then he would test out the idea in the uh, carpool. He always used to say that his boss was 30 million kids because that's who he listened to. So the, I used to watch uh, Twilight Zones with him every Friday night, and it would be like having a tutorial in creativity. Within two minutes, right after the opening, he would say, did you guess the ending yet? Do you want me to spoil it for you? And a running gag in our family would be how he was in the army with Rod Serling, and when he came back to his locker, uh, his it was busted into, and Rod stole all of his ideas. Of course, he was only kidding, but you know, in the science fiction realm, you see the same ideas are circulated many times, and you never really know who thought of it. It was a great childhood. It was a. I grew up in a fantasy world. I was a terrible student. I was like Henry in Goodfellas. After I'm listening to Superman stories, how can I possibly be interested in uh, government one on one? Now, was it just you, or were there more more siblings? I had a older sister, three years my senior. You know, as a psychologist, as I look back, she had a very different relationship with my father uh, than I did. She'd be interesting to for you guys to talk to in, in a future show. As I said, he was my best friend. I would rather do something with my father, whether it was playing gin or chess, watching. Uh, movies on million dollar movie than going out with my uh, friends once a year he would take i would get to invite my friends to come into his office in new york in the morning we'd read superman uh comics you know on the big proofs before they were shrunken down on the art boards um and then we'd he we had tickets to the yankee games we'd go to a yankee game in the afternoon and he'd take me out of school for that I mean, very few kids had that um, experience. When my friends would call, 
they would speak to him for 30 minutes on the phone before they uh, spoke to me. Now, can you kind of go through what you, his life in terms of what he started as? And then when you were six or seven, when you were aware that, you know, adults have jobs and things, where was he? Was he at D.C. at that point? He was at D.C. My memories start to uh, come in about 1955. So that was um, seven years old. And I, and he would bring me home a Superman costume, which I would wear and, you know, run around the house. So that was the first, my first awareness of what he, um, of what he did and his relationship with, you know, Superman. And then we went out to California when he was doing the Superman series. We uh, stayed at a hotel in Westwood, which is no longer there, called the Dracker Hotel. My mother would take me to Thrifty's Drugstore for an ice cream soda every day. I got to go to the um, lot and see them filming. George Reeves picked me up and he threw me in the air. <laughs> it was a great, uh, a great thrill. And um, I just got more involved and more aware of it as I, as I got older. You know, he did a lot of other things in terms of his magazine articles. So on one hand, as I got older, I would see him doing the Superman, which he started to resent after a while. He always felt that Superman was a waste of his of his talent. As you know, he started as a science fiction right. person and he and wrote thousands of magazine articles. And it's a very interesting dichotomy because... Mm -hmm. As we all know, and I assume anybody listening, people who worked for him did not speak well of him. And right. I would say their perceptions are very accurate. Very okay, accurate, okay. For reasons that we, we can talk about soon. But yeah. in the magazine world, he was highly respected and he treated those people with great, with great respect. Huh. He he really did not necessarily respect the pe people who were working under him, except for a handful, such as Ed Hamilton, Otto Binder, the, the guys who were science fiction writers, and huh. he recruited them. Those are the people that he respected because he felt they could write and they could think and they would bring their own ideas to the table. Let me ask you a couple of questions just about stories that you might have about your dad. And then uh, we're going to kind of go through it chronologically, but just asking you to tell stories about him in relation to those topics rather than pin you down the way we normally might do. What are a couple of your very favorite stories about your dad in that has some relation to, to comics and or or science. One of my favorite one of my favorite uh, stories and memorable experiences is one time I'm listening to the radio, uh, ABC radio in New York, and I hear that they are announcing a contest for the Superman Broadway musical. The contest was whoever can draw the best picture of Superman will get free tickets. So I tell my father, and he says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of this. Now, meanwhile, the people who wrote the um, book, Adams and Strauss, had done Bye Bye Birdie, uh, David Bennett, they had done the Bonnie and Clyde. They were up in my father's office every day learning the character. And Harold Prince, who had produced Fiddler on the Roof, uh, was producing it. 
So mm -hmm. a couple of weeks later, my father brings home a picture, uh, and the picture is Superman's flying in the background. In the middle, there is a shack with a fiddle on it, and the guy in the foreground looks like Zero Mostel, like Tevi. Mm -hmm. And the guy on the shack is saying, Tevi, where in the good book does it say a man can fly? And Tevi says, not good book, you fool, comic book. And now it's a Broadway musical. So meanwhile, I took it to school and, you know, I started to believe that I had created this masterpiece. <laughs> so we send it in. And three days later, WABC calls me. Is this Hank Weisinger? Yes. Are you 18? Yes. And then they tell me I won tickets. Now, my mm -hmm. father and I knew if we didn't win, it was a fix. You had the story editor of Superman. You had the artist. It was a Kurt Swan drawing it. Mm. How could we lose? So then my sister and I go, and during halftime, all the ABC disc jockeys are there. And during the break, you know, they have a bar set up. And I see all these silly pictures of Superman, but right behind the bar is my masterpiece. That's awesome. How I wish That's I funny. had that. So we would laugh to ourselves. It wasn't that the contest was fixed. We fixed it by mm -hmm. having the people do it. Right. Another That's time right. I find out I was a huge Yankee fan. In fact, my father probably resented when I changed my loyalty to Mickey Mantle from Superman as my hero. So they're having a uh, Mickey Mantle day in Yankee Stadium. So naturally I get tickets. So my father says, I have an idea. He says he's going to have Wayne Boring draws a picture where uh, Mickey is hitting a ball and it's going off Superman's hand. And the caption is not even Superman can catch a ball hit by Supermantle. And no. then representing all the Superman fans, because he was also at this time vice president of public relations, uh, I would get to walk out on the field and present it to him. But when my father brought it home, I thought, typical Wayne Boring, in my opinion. He forgot to put number seven on Mickey's back, so I started to cry. My father got so frustrated. He said, forget the whole thing. I'm glad I did, because now I have that as a unique piece of artwork. So you had some serious perks being, the, being his son, didn't you? Yeah, and you know, many people, one comic historian, Arlen Schumer, have you ever heard that name? Yeah, yes, of course. Yes, we have. Okay, so one time I told that story and he would say, yeah, but what did the artist get? Thinking that the artist got exploited by my father. First right. of all, every time there was something private like that, my father would throw the guy a hundred bucks. But what somebody like Arlen Schumer does not realize, the artist never would have thought of that. They would never have, have thought of that. So it, 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 that was the difference. When I look at contemporary comics, I see some people, you know, do the artwork and, and you know, the story and so on. Um, and the artist now, like, gets a lot of recognition. That really did not happen back in the day with my right. father. He saw the artist as basically a technician. Draw it the way I say or you're not going to have a job. He didn't right. like the way Wayne Boring drew Superman. He's out. People say, oh, Kurt Swan, Neil Adams, they were fantastic. Yeah, but what they forget is who discovered them. 
That was all Mort Weisinger deciding. That's like a director deciding what actors he or she wants to, you know, wants to uh, use. So right. he really, I got a lot, you're right. I got a lot of perks uh, and it was great. And that was one of the great things. But after a while, he really resented doing uh, Superman. Do you remember the Superman cover where Clark Kent is saying to Superman, get yourself a new identity. I'm through with you. Right. Okay. That as a psychologist was ex exactly a projection of how my father was feeling at the time. He was getting sick. He wanted to do, he wanted to do other, other things. If right. you do a Google on Stan Lee, you're not going to see that he wrote magazine articles or science fiction articles. My father was really a writer and a science fiction writer who fell into Superman. And then, because as my mother would tell the story, it provided security and he didn't want to take a risk. Do you remember sure. the TV show growing up, Tales of Wells Fargo? Yes. Guy running it was a fellow named Frank Gruber, who was a friend of my father's. And my father offered him a job as like a staff writer. And I remember my mother telling me, your father could not tolerate that. He could not be a staff writer. He'd have to be running the show. And his personality was so abrasive that he would not have done well in Hollywood, where networking and people skills are so important, right. you know, in terms of success. He didn't really care what these other writers or the artists said about him see they were all interested in getting their individual recognition my father's concept was nobody is bigger than superman right. he is the star whereas at marvel it was done the opposite they made the creators the the star and they they put their name on every possible thing that they could my huh. father did had a fight actually to get his name on the mask head at the bottom in terms of story editor. And what people don't know is as abrasive as he was to writers and artists, he used to have to fight with uh, Jack Leewitz and Harry Donafell to get them more money. Everything was a fight. Right. Well, yeah, Schwartz. I'm going to ask you a question because, as you know, he did what the Time Traveler fanzine with Julia Schwartz and Forrest Ackerman in the 30s. And I wanted to ask Forrest Ackerman, did your dad ever talk about him? What was your dad's conception of Forrest Ackerman? Uh, liked him and respected him and thought that he was very talented. Okay. And he would say that he was much more talented than a fellow like Julie Schwartz, Uncle Julie, as I would call them. He oh. was like, my, like, like a uncle and was childhood friends. And the truth is, when Julie, I think he was doing Batman, uh, basically my father would throw him ideas every day. Oh, that's really? What, that's what people don't get. Okay. Only when my father died that people would come out of the woodwork and start to say things. Well, he got this from me and he didn't think of this and so on because he, they didn't. It's funny, they never said that when he was alive. And I would invite any writer who thinks that my father took credit for their ideas should speak up. Right. That's interesting. So Julie Schwartz, he didn't feel that Julie Schwartz was actually an equal to him. He, my father felt nobody was in the comic business was an equal to him. Oh, interesting. And I'm not saying that's accurate. I'm just saying that's how that's he felt about it. Yeah, he felt interesting. So when he and Julie were science fiction author agents, and then they both uh, were editors at DC, in a sense, you would say 
And I know that when he was editing Thrilling Wonder Stories, Julie Schwartz would bring him talent like famous science fiction writers. In these relationships, you would say that your dad was probably, uh, I hate using the term alpha male, but in that sense, would you say that's kind of how that was? Yes. Oh, interesting. I never got you that. You have to remember, but, my father was the editor of all the of a lot of the pulp magazines in mm. terms of like amazing stories, starly yeah. stories. If you look those magazines up, which I have, they block out, you know, who was the main editor during right. that time. Yeah. You know, they color code it and you'll uh -huh. see the color associated with my father is the dominant one. And that's how he started to get the idea of come up with a good cover and then build a story around that. Mort Weisinger and Julie Schwartz were like good friends or best friends or more like work associates? And no, no, they were very, very good friends. Very good friends. That's cool. Very good friends. As I um, said, I, I consider Julie like a, a uncle. Right. But he was not at the same talent level. It was wow. really my father's idea to form an agency. In retrospect, you can see why that would make sense. Mm -hmm. That he just was, he, he was, re, he was really the writer. He wrote a lot of science fiction, you know, stories. That's and fascinating. Like somebody who he would really respect. I started off with that Rod Serling. Rod Serling spoke at my graduation in, in Alfred, New York from my master's. And when I told my father, he said, oh, he said, say hello to him for me. Tell him I met him at a party. And here's the party I met him at. So after the Rod Serling's, you know, graduation talk, which was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I waited until everybody went, and I said, I wanted to say hello to you. I think you know my father, Mort Weisinger, and I will always remember him saying, oh, yeah, your father's a very talented man. You should be very proud of him. And when oh, I well. told my father that, it really made him feel, feel good. That's awesome. A couple of more names I want to mention before we go to the next section. Uh, Leibowitz and Donenfeld, you said there was always a fight with them as far as funding and moving forward with some of the innovative ideas that was going on with Superman from the 50s through the uh, 60s. Do you remember any particular story or any particular example of these discussions? Let me give you two Leibowitz, a Leibowitz story and a Donenfeld story that will show their true nature. Yeah. Uh, grew up in Kings Point. And so did Leewood. So he would always drive in and he would pick my father up. It would, would irritate my father many times. It's Leewood's rather than coming in, into our driveway, would have my father walk to the end of the block. Yeah, he didn't want to come down the street because it would take an extra three minutes. And I will always remember Leewood saying to my father, who would look, be looking at the New York Times or the Herald Tribune, the stock market, and Jack would say to him, Mort, if you have to look at the market, you should be in it. Leibowitz was a businessman and a very good businessman, but that was really what he did. And every time my father wanted a raise, it would be a struggle. And then my father realized his ultimate leverage would be that I'm going to leave. And that's when they started giving him stock and, and so on. My remembrance of Harry Donafeld is being at a giant football game and we hear a voice in back of us, we're in line to get a hot dog, and my father turns around, and it's Donafeld. And I remember Donafeld said, "More, get me four hot dogs with plenty of mustard." <laughs> Don Donafeld's son Irwin was one of the most incompetent people of all time, as oh. well as Leibowitz's son-in-law George Levy, who Jack made the publisher of magazines like Hunting and Field and Stream. They all went bankrupt. And I always remember my father saying to him, George, he said, how could you blow 
two and a half million dollars. Not even my son could spend that much money. How do you do it? That's a talent. It was just to, to irk him on. That was his abrasive huh. uh, um, personality. The one person who my father got along with great at D.C., who became a super legend, was Jay Emmett. Do you know the name? Yes. Yeah, he actually um, worked closely with Warner, and he was part of the negotiations of getting Siegel and Schuster some crater credit. Correct. He he ran Warner's. He he was the fall guy for the uh, Westchester skimming operation. And you also look at what he did for Major League Baseball. He created the symbol for Major League Baseball. The Red Sox had an higher day for him. He was a great guy. At my bar mitzvah, he was promoting at the time Bridget Bardot bras. And I remember when he asked me, he said, what do you want for your bar mitzvah? And I said, how about Bridget Bardot? And he said, you're a little too young for her. He gave me a great <laughs> set of binoculars in, instead. So that was the big thing. You know, when he started with science fiction, you know, his, he, he had a disease on his feet that kept him in bed for a year. So he would tell me he read the entire book of knowledge and he was very interested in science. But then one of his friends showed him a check for $10. And my father said, where did you get it? And he said, I wrote something and I sold it. And my father thought this guy was so stupid that if he could sell something that that's what he would do. <laughs> so he, he sold the story. Oh, and, I see. And then he went up to, he was a teacher at NYU, a writing teacher. And he said, did you ever sell anything? And the teacher said, no, but I almost did. And my father said, well, you gave me a C on a paper and I sold it for a hundred dollars. I'm dropping the class. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. He used a hundred bucks to get a typewriter and that mm-hmm. was it. And I still have that, that typewriter. Oh, oh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. We mentioned Siegel and Schuster. What I want to do is to talk about some of the key Superman players and get what your your dad thought of those those people or what his interactions were with them. So let's start, obviously, with Siegel and Schuster. What, what did your dad's what was it, your dad's relationship with both of them? He liked Jerry. He thought he was actually a, a good writer. But being honest, he thought that his talent was limited in the sense that he could develop the character. He came up with the character, but he did not develop it. He did not develop the mythology. I think it's well known that, that if there is one person that deserves the credit for developing the entire Superman mythology, it is more Weisinger. I, I always felt that on the Superman movie, and, and J.M., its whole thing was, we don't need bad publicity. Let's give them some some money and just shut them up. And my, I always felt that while it said created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, it should have said underneath developed by Mort Weisinger. The idea of 50 people who made DC famous and they put on my father's name, that did not give him the credit that he deserved. He was the most influential person in the history of Superman, the Superman character. He was certainly for my Superman growing and I, I'm I'm about to turn 60. And and so for me, that was that was kind of my Superman. So I, I totally get that. Um what about Schuster? I don't ever remember him commenting much about Schuster except that when he was losing his eyesight. But obviously as you saw how the character and the artwork evolved, Schuster would not have been around for a long time. The irony is that Siegel ended up working for my father and, and my father giving him ideas. I remember meeting him and Nate Nows when they came out to um, LA. Sure. 
Now, did he? Did your dad have favorite Superman artists? Ones that he really respected? Was it yeah. Swan? Yeah, Kurt Swan. Who? This is the interesting thing because when I moved from LA to Connecticut, I ended up living in Westport, and I had remembered Westport going up to visit Kurt Swan. You know, when I was just a kid, where they had dirt roads, and he was his favorite artist, and also a fellow by the name of Kurt Schaffenberger, I think his name is. Sure, right, right, yeah. yeah. He liked him very, very uh, much, especially for Lois Lane. You know, his he had who was the best for Superboy, who was the best for Superman, who was the best for Lois Lane. I would say Swan and Schaffenberg and Neil Adams were his favorite artists. And not, not Wayne Boring, I take it. No, when Wayne Boring got fired, he said to my father, am I hearing you right? And my father's response is, do you need a kick in the stomach to know you're not wanted here? Huh. What about writers? Who, who did he really like that was, that was writing um, any of the Superman mythos? Ed Hamilton, Otto Binder. There were others. If I heard their names, I could remember. He felt it was a real coup to get people like Hamilton and Binder, because for them, it was extra money. And he mm -hmm. felt he was getting talent. One of the writers, Bob Bernstein, he gave my father for Christmas a garbage can with a note. I thought you would need this for my work. It would be embarrassing hearing my father yell at him whenever he would come over to our house to plot out ideas. My mother would be embarrassed. So did he ever come home um, and say, hey, we've got a 13-year-old writing Superman now, and he's he's good? Shooter, or what? shooter you mean? Yeah. 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 I remember, you know, what people don't realize is with that Metropolis mailbag. Now, sometimes he would make up the letters, especially if he wanted to plant a point. Use one of my friends. He put It was a big thing for my friends to have their name, Metropolis, you know, mailbag. So he would bring home all these letters. I mean, some of the letters he got, you would not believe what people would write Submit, in. Yeah. He says to me, Hank, look at this. This kid drew a story, and it was Jim Shooter. And my father was really impressed. And then he, he didn't know. Yeah, he did know he, he was young, I guess. And then he called him up because he sent in another one. My father sent him, like, bought it for like $100. And then eventually developed a relationship and brought him um, to New York. Well, one of the things about my father is that while he would be very tough on the person, like Shooter, but then he would brag about him to other, to oh, other right. people. I've heard that before, yeah. And, and the same thing, now I will say that Carrie Bates, more impressed with Carrie Bates than he was with Jim Shooter. Carrie oh. Bates went on to do other things. Right. And Carrie Bates once sent me a script that he had written for um, a Superman movie, he said to me that your father was always, you know, I learned a lot from, from him. He spoke highly of him because he had talent. My father respected the people who had talent and he didn't respect the people that he felt didn't have talent or that he had a spoon feed or would argue with him. So let's talk a little bit about the Superman TV show. You know, when he was a story editing for that, do you have any memory of him mentioning that or what kind of work he was doing for that? All the time. He used to go out with Whit Ellsworth, mm -hmm. who he had replaced as the you know Superman editor. And Whit was going out with his wife, Jane. They lived in California. But before then, they would take the train out 
and they mm-hmm. would plot out a bunch of the episodes. At one time, my mother and I, we all went out there, and as I said, we stayed at that hotel, and I got to go to the studio lot. The big mm-hmm. thing with the Superman TV show was the flying. One of the things that, that my father eventually did is he would do the lecture circuit on Superman's. So uh-huh. I went up to the student events committee and I said, how would you like to have the editor of Superman? Right. He gives a lecture and he shows two Superman movie, you know, shows that are in color. And they went nuts. So it's like I got my father wow. 500 bucks. He got to bring my mother and he got to visit, you know, at the same time. It was his idea to film the last 54 episodes in color because he had the foresight. If there's ever color TV, the stuff will look good in color. In the so future, that was yeah. the reason those last ones were done in color. It was well, great because one of the early sponsors of the TV show was Kellogg's. Mm-hmm. So every Christmas, we would get a huge box of the little Kellogg cereals. Mm-hmm. And that was a great Christmas uh, oh, how cool. present. Because I would yeah. take all the sugar pops, sugar smacks, frosted flakes, you know, and hoard them for myself. One time, <laughs> Bazooka bubblegum they yes. wanted to do the little comics superman comics and as a perk they would send a box of the little pieces of bazooka <laughs> to our house so it started a war between my sister and i in terms of dividing up the pieces i mean yeah. there were like 500 pieces and we were oh, wow. fighting over each one then my father said i wanted to see how you would react they were going to send one every month now you can forget about that because I can't go through this every month. That's hilarious. What was his impression of Whitney Ellsworth? He liked Whit. And my mother, when she lived out there, they lived in Westlake, California, became very good friends with his wife. I'm sure that there were times, knowing my father's psychology, that at times he felt competitive with him or that Whit was getting more credit than he did. But that would be my father's interpretation Nature. of of anybody yeah People competition. always think he it was it was you know it was him before we go to the next section jack schiff did he ever mention him not in a positive way well you know, uh, half when schiff's comics would do poorly i mean you have to understand <laughs> that when superman was always the highest he would gloat to the other people when he sells an article to readers digest he would make sure that all the other writers all the other editors you know, knew that. So he was always, you know, exercising that. Now, the reality is, when you look at all these other editors, it was my father who was made vice president. He considered Carmine Infantino. Do you know that name? Yeah, of course. His his famous way of describing Infantino was an educated monkey. Educated monkey, wow. Which is perfect for Infantino because he loved monkeys. Yeah, he put a lot of gorillas he on put covers, Put a lot of gorillas right? there. Yeah, yeah. My, my father felt he got his job because, you know, there was a, lo- a large part of Kinney with a little mob influence and in, in that they moved Infantino in. Oh, yeah, because Kinney was a part of the Italian <laughs> yeah, parking lot company. The they don't know if they, what kind of connections it had. And then maybe they were part of the Infantino move into the editorial director. That's a really interesting connection that I never really considered before. The direction of DC changed from the being sci-fi writers to being artists, right? It suddenly shifted right. in flavor at that point. 
now we want to look at more specific questions about uh, your father's DC work uh, specifically. Um, and your father actually created some characters. Let's, let's go over that and um, uh, what you know about the, the, that creative process. You know, he created Aquaman. Yes. It, it kills me that, he, see, that was part of his job to create characters. I can only say it to my friends, if he had created that and then sold it, I'd be in a different position right now. Right. The, he, he created a lot of those characters out of his own ego because he could never say that he created Superman. So that really bothered him. So mm -hmm. as a result of that, that served as a motivator for him to have to create some characters that he could take credit for. Mm -hmm. So that became things like Green Arrow and Aquaman and Vigilante. Johnny Quick. But yeah, but the, the again, while those were characters, you know, they would be, I think Aquaman might have had his own magazine once, but I'm not sure. But most of them, those would be the third, you know, the characters in the back of the right. back story. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> not Justice Society or Justice League characters, except for Aquaman. He's the big name, clearly. But I will tell you, it was really, while he was doing all that, he was creating all these magazine articles. And coming up with really, you know, ideas. And that was where his creativity, I think, was even more so than Superman. It'd be hard to name a subject that he hasn't written an article on, which always mm -hmm. put him in a position in a social situation. No matter what the topic was, he would say, what do you know? I wrote an article on it. So within the Superman mythos, what characters do does he think that he did he think that he really was the the inspiration for the, that he was the one that came up with? Well, the the I wouldn't necessarily and I really don't know, but I think a better way of answering that is whatever the character was, he developed it so that, the, for example, Bizarro. Now, it might have been Otto Binder who said, hey, I have a good idea where the scientist creates an imperfect Bizarro. And at the mm -hmm. beginning, if you remember, Bizarro was a more of a monster. Uh, and then he turned in. It was like Chucky. First, right. when you see Chucky, he's a monster. And now people like Chucky. He's a friend. It was my father who created the bits of Bizarro that would be in the um, comics where kids would write in, you know, on the Bizarro world. You know, they do they do this. So he developed the bizarre world. That was never part of Otto Binder's thinking. I would think like Crypto, Titano, Metallo, which he always felt. Remember Metallo? Yeah, sure. of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he would always feel that the $6 million man was a ripoff. I saw, uh, I think his name is Michael Unseen. You Unseen. Seen? Yeah. So I see him on... Turner, they're talking about like, you know, uh, Batman. comics and, and so Batman. And he says, this is the first episode. It was like, you know, in a serial where Lex Luthor appeared. Yeah, now, that was actually a mistake because who came up with the name Lex? That was my father. And mm -hmm. the way he came up with it was, dear editor, does Luthor have a first name? He's always called Luthor. So why did my father call him Lex? LL? Exactly. Yeah. So when you say what he created, all of the LLs, that's the only reason Luther's first name was Lex. Did he come up with Supergirl? I don't know, but I do know that he came up with Linda Lee because right. that was another LL. 
And what about that mermaid at Lori Lamaris? Hold on, Lucy Lane, Lois's sister. Mm-hmm. So all those types of things that that were due to him, he saw the thread that would sew all these characters t- together. He came up with the parallel universe and concept of the imaginary uh, story. He came up with the idea of an annual because he figured he explained to Leibowitz, this is a way of how we can so reuse less stuff. work with just repackaging the the stories. Somebody yeah. from the University of Wisconsin. I can actually send it to you. It was really interesting. Did their thesis on Mort Weisinger and how he created the brand of Superman and everything. And it was really interesting. He was multimedia before the word even existed. Sure. He was the one who came up with the idea of let's get Superman on I Love Lucy. He was right. the oh, one really? who came up with the idea of, do you remember the show Masquerade? You dress up and then the panel has to guess who the, you know, the disguise is. So he got Superman to go on and the disguise was going on as a giant Ken, in a giant Ken cigarette box. He was the one who came up with all those, with all those ideas. DC right. had never seen a, per, a talent like that. Mm-hmm. That's why Lee Woods and Donafelt kept him for 30 years, no matter who he insulted. His editorial mandate was, if you don't like it, leave. Right. Now, here's a question, and just to go to the editor and supervisorial style, he did so many positive things, but then when there are books that write about him, they always quote almost the most negative thing they can, and I'm going to just read you a couple of them. There's, this is a book, uh, DC versus Marvel, and then Weisinger, when he was looking at the Prez comic, he says, don't you know what you got here? This is all about drug culture, hippies, drugs, and street people. We can't publish stuff like this. Or another one who he says about writers, he says, writers are like oranges. You squeeze them until there's no juice left, and then you can throw them away. See, people quote this stuff, but then they don't mention the good stuff at all. What's your impression of this? And are these quotes probably true, or are they probably false? They're probably true. Now, when I would read my mother these, Mm -hmm. we would actually laugh because we Mm -hmm. lived with the guy. Right, like it's These, probably right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, or, or, as I said, all the things were right. But here's what I want to point out. So yes. what? What people are forgetting is like the person who wrote that or who says he was difficult, that person was inept at dealing with a boss. I, I'm a, I wrote a book on giving and taking criticism, not coincidence that I grew up in a critical environment that I turned <laughs> into a living. And I yeah. would get questions all the time. How do you criticize a boss who's really abrasive? See, nobody knew how to deal with my father. Why would he change his style? It worked. His attitude was, if I yell at you, if I insult you, you will give me what I want. And as long as that works, I'm going to keep doing it because that's my job. My job is to make Superman successful, not to worry about good managerial relationships with you. So I would say that everybody who worked for him who had trouble, they can attribute that to their own lack of emotional intelligence. Not Mm -hmm. one of them was able to say, Mort, you're my boss, I respect you, but I do not want you to speak to me like this anymore. Nobody had the, quote, chutzpah to say that. But my father would say that to Leibowitz all the time. Or to mm. Donafel whenever a negotiating point came down. So they were just too inept to to deal with them. You mentioned one time 
about your dad yelling at a waiter once? What, what was that story exactly? My father wrote an article on tipping once. Okay. Uh, do you know what the word tip stands for? Not formally. To ensure promptness. The article was he and my mother, they went to the store club, a very famous restaurant in New York at the time. And they were totally abusive to the waiter, demanding everything. And they didn't leave a tip. Then they went back the next night. They requested the same waiter and they got terrible service. And the article became, what are you tipping for in the first place? We walk into a restaurant. Remember the coat checks where you leave Mm -hmm. like a dollar a quarter? And my Mm -hmm. father would get in with the poor coat check girl. If uh, a friend of yours comes to visit you, do you charge them to hang up your coat in your closet? I said, do I charge you to park in my my driveway? So he had this crusade about (laughs) tipping. I'm sure you saw the movie Reservoir Dogs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Remember the beginning when when he started talking about tipping? I mean, that was like, I thought that was homage to my father. That was his philosophy. His attitude is tell your boss to pay you more. He would say, look, if you order a steak and it's $20 uh, and you leave 15%, that's a $3 tip. Now, if you order a hamburger and it's $10 uh, and you leave 15%, that's $1.50. But it's the same plate. The waiter's doing the same amount of work. <laughs> he had this whole thing with, with <laughs> tipping and service. And, of course, it would embarrass my mother. His, fa- his first rule is when you go out for dinner, step one, intimidate the waiter. I mean, this is, this is why these quotes that these people are saying are comical to me. I'm not saying it was right, by the way. And right, I'm not right, right. It. But, but, but you can he, imagine his voice saying these things. Oh, every day. My father had a white convertible. And when my mother, I could just hear her say, Morty, you got to put the top up. My hair will blow. And I can remember my father very clearly saying, stick your head in the glove compartment. Ha, that's funny. In 1961, 62, and then going forward as Stan Lee and Marvel really caught on. Was he aware of it? Did he see that maybe times were changing and, and did he try to adjust at all or did he just keep doing what he was doing? I would say not at that time, Mara, no, because Superman was actually becoming more and more. Superman was the spokesman for JFK's national physical fitness thing, which was my father's idea. And then he had JFK in that story in 63 at the assassination. And he had the Beatles in. So he was just still doing his own thing. And Superman was only becoming, I mean, the Superman play hadn't even been on Broadway at that point. And what was the age range that he was, he was having people work for? Like what was, what was, what did he think his audience was? I think he thought his audience was before um, kids were 10th grade. Yeah, so like 7 through 12 or something like that, right? Yeah, he liked at times to introduce science. He wanted the comics to be educational in the values and so on. When I look at the artwork in, in his tenure in that Silver Age, and then I look at some of the contemporary artwork, I can't stand it. It gives me a headache. I just don't get it. Because... One of the things that I find is that right now, if you're a young comic book guy, you know, an artist or writer, you're creating a character that you think is good. Whereas my father, he was truly responsive to the needs of the customer, which were his kids. He did things. Kids would write him in and he would turn them into 
to stories, especially when he would see a trend. He wasn't doing what he thinks is a good character. That was a big difference. And without a doubt, in terms of the movies, I would still stand by the greatest superhero movie of them all was still the original Christopher Reeve Superman movie. A lot of people think that. And and the reason so is look at the talent that was associated with it. You had an A-list director. The problem with the Superman movies now is that every director tries to put their own spin on it. And that's what makes it terrible. In terms of the, the, the different things that he, he was working with, the, the different colors of kryptonite, the Legion of Superheroes, um, the imaginary stories, that I love those, especially the super pets. There's so many things that were part of that era that you associate. Were there things that he loved especially? He liked stories best where Superman lost his powers. He felt that he had to be clever then, intelligent. I mean, that was the whole point of kryptonite, is that it made him vulnerable. One of the big distinctions he made between Batman and Superman is Batman was vulnerable. So different types of kryptonite did different things to Superman so that he would have to use his wits more than his, you know, superpowers. So he liked those types of stories. He liked the imaginary stories because he could it could be anything that he wanted. One mm-hmm. of the funny things in terms of to show you how it works is do you remember the Loretta Young story so there was an episode once that he liked a lot so he turned it into a Lois Lane story and then he gets a letter about six months after it comes out dear editor you won't believe it I was watching Loretta Young and they stole one of your (laughs) Lois Lane stories (laughs) We had a big laugh. My father said the kid must have seen the repeat. But, Mm. you know, you talk about these things. This is where the pressure of the job came in. People would say, oh, he rehashed a lot of stories. You mean on Seinfeld they don't? How many times have I seen the same story on Seinfeld? Instead of it happening to George, it happens to Elaine or Kramer. Or instead of it happening to little Joe, it happens to Haas. Or it happens to Adam. And let me tell you, those were once a week. Even Arlen Schumer will say a certain amount of Twilight Zones were pretty bad, but that was once a week. If my father had to do just one Superman story, uh, you know, once a week or once a month, having something that was bad would have been unacceptable. That would have been an easy task. So when you think of he's editing maybe eight or nine uh, magazines and each one, say, has three stories in it, that's 30 stories, you know, a month. That is a lot of different ideas. How could they, and for doing it for 30 years. So part of his brilliance was what he called the switcheroo. Same story, but you make a little difference. How many movies have you seen seen that? It's the same movie, the same ending, but they give it a switcheroo. Mm-hmm. So Sigourney Weaver in Alien 3 steps into the fire pit. How is that different than the Terminator doing the same Right. Other than Kurt Swan being your dad's favorite Superman artist, are there any other anecdotes about him? Yes. Kurt would tell you that once he stood up to my father, his migraine headaches went away. It it became a good relationship. Wow. Yeah, your dad needed to see strength in the people, it sounds like, to respect Mm -hmm. them. Yes. So was your father ready to leave when he he left D.C.? I mean, was he... 
was he done pretty much with, with yeah, that? Or? He, he wanted to go and he was working on a novel at the time of his death. Basic storyline was the president of the United States wants an astrologer. And you have no idea why. Everything you could think of is ruled out. You know the astrologer is a fake, but every prediction he makes comes true. How does he do it? And his nemesis is a guy named Mike Dundee. This is before anybody heard the name Crocodile Dundee. He was writing it in a style for Hitchcock, but never um, finished it and doing articles. And he became more more content. He didn't need the money. The He was tired of living in... Um, the glory of uh, of Superman. You know, he would always complain about that. But the bottom line is, if we ever went on a vacation, within 10 minutes after checking in, everybody in the new hotel knew he was the editor of Superman. So he liked to use it to further, you know, brag about it, but at the same time resented it. That's why that cover of him walking out was such a projection oh, yeah. that he was experiencing. What was... When did he die exactly? What was the date? He died in 1970. I was at the VA. No, no, he died in 1978. He Se left DC yes, in 1970. Yeah, 78. Right. Oh, so, so he he didn't live to see VA. John Byrne. No. no, he he died when he was 63 years old of a heart attack. Yeah, I was at the Brentwood yes. VA where I did my um, internship, and he used to speak to my parents every day on the phone. I had watch lines, three phone calls. So one day I called and he said he wasn't feeling well. I put my mother on the phone and I said, Get, let me talk to mommy. And I said, take him to the hospital. So he went to the hospital and then he had a full-blown heart attack as soon as he walked in. Spoke to him, you know, the next day or two. He was already writing an article on 10 things your cardiologist doesn't tell you. And then uh, it got worse. And then I went home on a Friday night. And it was depressing to see him Saturday morning, and then Sunday evening, uh, he passed away. It wow. was sad. That and then sad. how how quickly did people start contacting your family to get the uh, his papers and his letters? And that's obviously leading up to you were in the papers everywhere um, this past year. Yeah, let's, knew, let's talk I about figured, that a little. Right, I figured that would go viral. The, the um, Syracuse asked for the papers. You know, now when I think, when he talked about his early science fiction days, I mean, he had mint condition, you know, maybe all the volumes of wonder stories, amazing stories. In many ways, I wish I kept them, but I'm glad a university has them because they'll keep them for people who want to study mm -hmm. and they'll keep them in good, you know, good condition. Mm -hmm. That was Syracuse. So she split the papers between Syracuse and Wyoming. And then when I saw Liz Cheney made that statement, I figured I could use that as a platform to um, embarrass her, which was my goal. I never wanted the papers back. What am I going to do with them? I knew I that. That's exactly. I'm so happy to hear you say that because that was what I was saying to everyone, that this was not about a serious claim. This, you got exactly what you wanted and you got it brilliantly because it was everywhere. It was making papers in Europe. And it was just to get the criticism of, of Cheney out there, wasn't it? Exactly. And now I've come up with a better way of how I'm going to resolve the issue. And this my father would really like. I'm going to say that since Cheney denounced Trump for tweeting, you know, about the witness and about the uh, colonel, I said, I'm not not only am I going to let Wyoming keep the papers, 
but to reward them for what Congressman Cheney said, I'm going to let them have the Henry Davis Weisinger papers to keep next <laughs> to the Weisinger papers. There you go. That's would your dad have approved of you doing that the way that you did it? Would that be something he would have said that was yeah, kind of yes, smart? Yes, he would. Yes, mm-hmm. he would be very proud. He was he was becoming more and more politically active, and he would have despised uh, Trump because it goes against truth, justice, and the American way, and he was a big Kennedy um, supporter. When Do you remember the story where at the end is he has to be in two places at once, and it's sure. JFK? And he's saying, if you can't trust the president, who can you trust? Right. Well, he called the White House to make sure he could, because that happened the week Kennedy was assassinated, is when the story was going to come out. Mm -hmm. So he called the White House to ask permission to run it, and they said yes. And then a few weeks after it came out, he comes in my room, he says, Hank, look at this letter I just got. And it says, Dear Editor, Thank you for remembering my uncle, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I wish I had that letter. Did he ever mention Jack Kirby? Not prominently, but he would certainly respect him a great deal and probably more so than Stan Lee. As we close out, what do you think your father's legacy is? What's his impression of his legacy and how would he want to be remembered? How would you like him to be remembered? I think his legacy is people like you who really found uh, that whole silver age to be engaging and and fun and and stimulating. And I think that his contribution to Superman is that he made him really an, an iconic hero. I mean, when you start to see how many references, if you watch Seinfeld, does he have to Superman? I can only think that if my father was alive, he would have had a cover where Seinfeld, Mm. you know, was on Superman. That's how he would have been thinking. So I think the fact that when people talk about Superman, the, the references are to that era that he created and developed. Awesome. He took, he took credit for a lot and he deserves a lot. And most likely he took credit for some things that he shouldn't have. And, and that's never right. But that is much less than people thought. One of the reasons the job was so stressful for him is because he was doing so much. When he sa- found somebody like Shooter or Carrie Bates, that was a relief for him because he had new, a new well to, to draw from. Mm-hmm. So, and people say he was controlling because he didn't want, if you were a writer and you <laughs> an idea and he doesn't like it, his attitude would be you wasted time thinking. Right. So let me give you the ideas that I already like, and then you can develop them. I realize Alan Schumer made a good point, is that there, a lot of the writers never got the positives. I got a lot of the negatives, but I also got a tremendous amount of positives. My sister got basically negatives. She would be more likely to speak about him like one of the one of his subordinates. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, that's how he treated her. Interesting. This is Alex Grant with Jim Thompson on the Comic Book Historians podcast. Henry, first, I want to say thank you so much for being our guest today. We really enjoyed your insight. I think there's so much just social media and what they say about everyone that it's nice to actually get from someone that was actually there, from someone that has a genuine perception on the figure of Mort Weisinger. Thank you so much for joining us. Yep, it was a pleasure. I had a good time. 